Let us open our Bibles to Acts chapter 28. If this is your first time here, you've come to the last sermon on Acts. So interesting Sunday, but if this is your first time, we are so glad you're here. So I just want you to know there's a lot of context that (laughs) you might be missing a little bit, but uh, I hope this will bless you. Acts chapter 28, and we are literally in the last section. We will read beginning in verse 23 through the end, verse 31. So let us read together beginning, or listen now to the reading of God's word beginning in verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, for Paul, they came to him, the Jews, at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. How well do you listen? Listening is one of those actions that can have a tricky meaning attached to it. At a very superficial level, we all know that you can listen and not at the same time. I'm sure many of us in this room can attest to that simple fact. Someone is is talking to you and, and you are listening in the sense that the sound waves are hitting the eardrum. But then the person stops and asks, so what do you think I should do? We all know how terrifying that question can be if you are listening but not at the same time. How do you get out of that situation? For those of us who are parents, those of of us in this room who have been involved in any kind of counseling, you know the difference between listening and listening. Many of our deepest sorrows in life, as well as some of our greatest joys in life, have to do with the act of listening. As the Israelites were making their way to Sinai after their redemption from Egypt, the Lord told them the key to everything that is good in life. With these words out of Exodus 15, 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. 
When the Lord says that, you can be sure that the rest of the sentence will be packed full of beauty and glory and peace and joy. When people listen to the Lord, they can expect blessing from the Lord. When they don't listen, they miss out on those blessings. So to listen is of the essence in the scriptures. It's all about listening. In fact, I would take it as far as to say it like this in your notes. Listening is at the very heart of God's plan of redemption in Christ Jesus. Listening is at the very heart of God's plan of redemption in Christ Jesus. Now, let me see if I can prove this to you by reminding you of something that Jesus has been given. And I know you know this already. You have heard me say this many times, but I want to emphasize something a little different. What has Jesus been given? Jesus, in your notes, has been given all what? All authority. Remember when he ascended? He said all authority. Okay. Jesus has been given all authority to speak words of life. Jesus has been given all authority to speak words of life. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is book number 5 in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and I want us to consider verse 18. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. In this passage, the announcement is made that a new prophet like Moses would come. But consider the note of authority that is attached to this prophet. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. God says, as a prophecy, I will raise up for them, for my people, a prophet like you, meaning Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So a prophet, God says, was coming to whom God would give his own authority to speak. So that's authority to speak or to speak with authority. This being the case, a word of warning is added in verse 19 of the same chapter. God says this, and whoever will not, what, listen to my words that he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Interesting. And so one day, as Jesus goes up a mountain to pray, his glory is revealed. Moses and Elijah show up, and a voice from heaven says this about Jesus, this is my son my chosen one, listen to him. Listen to him. So who is Jesus? Well, he was the prophet that was announced by Moses who would speak on behalf of God with his own authority. And so when he shows up, God says from heaven, there he is. He's here. What are you supposed to do with him? Listen. Listen, so while Jesus has been given all authority to speak words of life, mankind, in your notes, mankind has been given the duty 
To what? To listen in order to live. Mankind has been given the duty to listen in order to live. Soon after the ascension of Jesus, Peter said, Every soul who does not listen to Jesus shall be destroyed from the people. Acts 3, 23. So on the road to Damascus, as Paul was persecuting Jesus and his followers, his life was both shattered and rebuilt instantly upon this one fact. Paul, the prophet you have been waiting for is the one you're seeking to kill. His life was both shattered and rebuilt upon that one truth. Paul, the one you're seeking to kill is the one that was promised by Moses that would come. Stop what you're doing, Paul, and start listening. From that point on, Paul understood that everything he knew from the law of Moses and the prophets was ultimately about this one man, Jesus of Nazareth. So it is the year 60 A.D. Paul has been carrying that message with him for decades now, suffering for it all along. Now he is under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his trial before the emperor Nero. But as he awaits, the Jews of the synagogue in Rome are about to come to him in great numbers to do one thing. What did they come to do? They came to listen to what Paul has to say. So Paul will speak. They came to listen. So Paul will speak from morning until evening. He has one day. He has one shot. What will Paul say to the Jews in Rome? So let us first consider, in your notes, the content of Paul's speaking. The content of Paul's speaking. What was the content of his message? Here it is. The kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus Christ. Luke tells us that Paul occupied himself all day, the entire day, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince the Jews about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. It is important to remember, brothers and sisters, always to remember that the Apostle Paul did not renounce his Jewish roots in order to start following a new cult. Neither did Paul close his Hebrew scriptures that he knew and loved. Paul remained a Jew. But he was now a Jew who understood that the waiting was now what? Over. The waiting was over. The prophet who was announced by Moses had come. And the Jews needed to start listening to him. For in this prophet named Jesus, the kingdom of God had finally arrived, bringing with itself forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God to both Israel and all the world. The message here is rather clear, is it not? For Paul, if you miss Christ, what do you miss? Everything. If you miss Christ... 
then the true meaning of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament will remain hidden from sight. As he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, speaking of his fellow Jews, Paul says, To this day, when they read the Old Testament, the veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Apart from Jesus Christ, the Old Testament is a closed book. Because if you cannot see where the story is headed, the story will not make sense. And so as Paul speaks to them from morning till evening, he tells his fellow Jews that the old covenant story was going somewhere. Or better yet, that the old covenant story was headed towards someone, a man, Jesus of Nazareth. And that he appeared... In the fullness of what? In the fullness of time. In other words, Paul is calling the Jews to understand their own Hebrew scriptures in light of their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. And he has defeated our enemies. You know, the Jews were expecting the Messiah to defeat their enemies. And so Paul stands before them under house arrest and he says this, The Messiah has come, and he has defeated our enemies, though not in the way you thought. Rather, he defeated the forces of darkness and sin that held us captive. And Jesus has brought God's kingdom, though not in the way you want it. Rather, his kingdom is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in whom? In the Holy Spirit. Spirit, as Romans 14, 17 says. So morning and evening, Paul insisted, insisted. But as the day drew to a close, his audience became divided. Some were convinced, the Bible says. Some believed. Paul is telling us the truth. The Messiah has come. But others disbelieved. Things got heated quickly. Not that Paul wasn't used to this. He was used to this. So things got heated. And so as they argue with one another, they begin to make their way out of the place. Those unconvinced had heard enough. But right before they leave, Paul seals the conversation with one last word for the Jews. One last thing. Not just any word, but a 700-year-old prophecy that to their astonishment was being fulfilled in how they responded to Paul that very moment. As they were leaving, Paul tells them, you think you are winning by rejecting what I'm telling you. You think you are in the right You think you have won. After all, you are the ones walking away. Well, I'm the one stuck under house arrest. But you are wrong. Because you are deaf to the voice of God. Moreover, Paul says, I know the reasons why you are deaf. 
So here are the reasons for Jewish deafness. The reasons for Jewish deafness. There are two reasons for their inability to listen to the voice of God. The first one is judicial hardening. Judicial hardening. 700 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied that this would indeed be the case. So Paul quotes from Isaiah in verse 25. Let us read that again. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, to your your fathers, Jews, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, their opposition to Jesus was proof that God was opposing them. Their opposition to the Messiah was proved that God was opposing them. Paul turned the tables on the Jews. They were deaf to the words of life which Jesus spoke because God himself covered their spiritual ears due to their unfaithfulness. They listened with their ears, but not with their understanding. They saw with their eyes, but not with their heart. This was divine judgment. But there is a second reason for Jewish deafness. It's not just about judicial hardening. There's something good behind this. It was also about Gentile inclusion. Gentile inclusion. Do you remember that the whole world back then was seen as divided in two? That's it, right? Jews on the one hand, and what what else? Gentiles. If you were not a Jewish person, you were a Gentile, and that was the whole world. So there is a reason for Jewish deafness to the voice of Jesus. They were under judgment. But there was a glorious reason behind that, Jewish, I mean Gentile, inclusion. So consider this. Having quoted the prophecy from Isaiah, Paul finishes with these wonderful words in verse 28. Therefore, since you have not listened, since you are deaf, Jews, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to whom? To the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. I want you to consider this. If Isaiah chapter 6 was a prophecy of judgment against the Jew, the last three words of verse 28 are a prophecy of hope for the whole world. Did you realize that you are included in that? How does this work? How does this work? Think about this. The Jews rejected their Messiah, which led to Jesus being put on a cross with the help of the Romans. That very act unleashed nothing less than God's power to save. For in the death of the Son of God, he was reconciling the world to himself. So how does the deafness of the Jews help us? They put him on a cross. 
And through that cross, you and I have eternal life. And this takes us to the reasons for Gentile listening. Now we know why the Jews did not listen. Judgment and Gentile inclusion. But now, the reasons for Gentile listening. Why was Paul so sure that the Gentile world would listen to the gospel? Here, once again, we have two reasons, which I will keep very brief. The first reason for Gentile listening is Christ's sovereign voice. Christ's sovereign voice. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus spoke of his sheep. In fact, you can go there if you would like. John chapter 10. Uh, I think it's good for you to read it with your own eyes. In John 10, the Lord Jesus spoke of his sheep and of how he came to lay down his life for his sheep. But the interesting thing is that he speaks of two kinds of sheep. Two kinds of sheep. Some belonged to one fold, and others were from a different fold. He says it like this in verse 16 of John 10. And I have other sheep. He's talking to Jewish people. And he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And what are they going to do? They will listen to my voice. seems apparent that these two folds are a reference to Jewish sheep and Gentile sheep. In other words, Jesus did not come to rescue the Jews only. He came to call people to himself from every tribe, nation, and tongue because God so loved the world. Behind Paul's confident statement stood Christ's sovereign voice. They will listen to my voice when I call them. They will come. The second reason for Gentile listening, and this one is interesting, is Jewish jealousy. (laughs) Jewish jealousy. Who is in charge of this world? God is. God is. In a mysterious way, the Gentiles coming into God's fold through faith moves the Jews to holy jealousy. And this jealousy is the trigger that propels them back into God's kingdom through faith in the Messiah. Could you have come up with that plan? Paul explains all of that in detail in Romans chapter 11. We're not going to get into that. We don't have time. Instead, I want to point out in your notes the design of God's plan. The design of God's plan. What is God's plan? One flock. One shepherd. If you are still in John chapter 10 verse 16, let's read it in its totality. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. One shepherd. I want you to get this in your mind. This is glorious. God created Israel. He called them into existence. God created Israel for the sake of the world. From them came the Messiah, and through their rejection of Jesus came salvation for all nations. 
Chile included. That's amazing. And God is saving the world for the sake of the Jews. And of the two, God is making one new man under the headship of Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Those who were near the Jews can now join hands with those who were far off, meaning the Gentiles. This is the church. So I want to spend the remaining of our time with two final questions. Two final questions. The first one is this. Did the Gentiles listen? You know the answer, right? It's not a trick question. The answer is yes. Did the Gentiles listen? Yes. The words of Paul at the end of verse 28 were prophetic. And as of today, this is a 2,000-year-old prophecy. So here's something exciting for you to think about. Take this home with you. If the Jews walking away from Paul in disbelief was a fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy... You being here as a disciple of Jesus is the fulfillment of a 2,000-year-old prophecy. You're living in the unfolding of a 2,000-year-old prophecy. Your present faith is the unfolding of an ancient prophecy. Paul said, the Gentiles will listen. They will believe. But the second and final question is, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, I will do my best to explain it a little bit today. What does it mean that we have and that we continue to listen to the Lord? Well, we could say many things, right? To listen to the Lord means, for example, that we rest in God's sovereign, absolute sovereignty. To listen to the Lord means that we persevere in God's high calling. It also means that we believe in His unbreakable promises. And all of that is true, and, and we could further develop that. In fact, that was my original sermon around Monday or Tuesday morning. I was going to do all that, and then everything got reshaped. I want to finish by focusing on one element of what it means to listen to the Lord. For us Gentiles. Are you ready? Ready or not. <laughs> You're going to get it anyway. <laughs> so that's what we do on Sundays. When Paul said that the Gentiles will listen, it means that Gentiles have been invited to participate in God's new but unfinished story. I'm going to repeat that. That the Gentiles will listen. It means that Gentiles have been invited to participate in God's new but unfinished story. To listen to the Lord Jesus through faith in his death and resurrection means to enter the story that he began. And what started with Abraham has now been extended to the whole world in Christ. And that story is yet to be finished. We are in the middle of it. And that story is yet to be finished. And you and I belong in that story. 
You were created to live within this new story. Your life is not meant to be isolated. There is a grand story that explains why you are here to begin with. In fact, did you notice how the book of Acts ends? It's an interesting ending. Abrupt. Surprising. It just tells us that Paul spent two years proclaiming the kingdom of God and speaking about Jesus with boldness and without hindrance. That's it. The book finishes with an unfinished finish. Because the story is not over yet. It is still unfolding. It is still unfolding. And we are in it. This is amazing. We are in it. Let me show you how by asking you to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. This is just one element that proves that we belong to a new story. Isaiah chapter 1. Remember, Paul quoted from Isaiah chapter 6, this prophetic word against the Jews. Well, let me tell you how, how everything starts. Isaiah wrote his prophecy 700 years prior to the advent of Jesus, at least in part to pronounce a divine charge against God's people. God had something against his own people. We can see that charge in verse 3, where God says that Israel does not know. My people do not what? They do not understand. And then in verse 4, we read, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. So bad was the corruption in, in Israel that in verse 10, they are compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's pretty bad. But let me ask you this. How was the corruption manifested in Israel? Well, it was seen in what Israel failed to do. You can see what that was in verses 16 and 17. Here's what God tells his own people. Listen to this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to whom? To the fatherless. And plead whose cause? The widow's cause. Israel had failed to be a just society where orphans and widows were cared for and loved. And that's where the story basically goes wrong. Injustice was the order of the day in Israel. God's people were imitating the world rather than being separate from it through the exercise of justice to the fatherless and widows. But then something new came. Something new came. Someone new. His name is Jesus. And as Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, he came to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for what? You don't want to say it, huh? You're not sure. Who are zealous for good works. See, the story with Israel got ruined, they became corrupt. They no longer cared about widows 
and orphans. They were full of injustice. But Jesus came to create a new story with a new people who are zealous for good works, who are zealous to do justice, or who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It shouldn't surprise us then to see that when the early church experienced one of its first divisions in Acts chapter 6, what was it about? It was over the issue of caring for widows. Seeing this, the apostles took immediate action and appointed the first seven deacons of the church to make sure the matter was dealt with swiftly and properly. Do you see the new story developing now? If Israel had failed to care for widows, that will not be the case in this new story with God's new people. And then it was James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, who tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit what? Who? Orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Do you see it? The story that went wrong in the Old Testament is now a new story in which the church made up of both Jews and Gentiles can continue what the Lord Jesus begun. If the old covenant people of God failed in that they stopped practicing justice and love, the new covenant people of God in Christ should not. So the story is new, but it's not, a, it's not finished. We Gentile Christians did listen to the Lord, and we continue to listen. We are currently living in a new story, created by Jesus Christ and empowered by the Spirit of God. So Acts is not really ultimately about Paul. We don't know if he ever stood before Nero or even how he died or when he died. Acts is ultimately about how the death and the resurrection of a man named Jesus of Nazareth changes the world one person, one person at a time, including Paul, including us. Paul then stands as an example of what it means to listen to the Lord. He was one of those few Jews who actually listened to the Lord. His life was the life of a man who knew himself to be living in a new story, a new creation, in fact, that had been inaugurated already but was not yet consummated. That was Paul. For him, the old had passed away. And what had come? The new had come. That's a summary of his life. Jesus the Lord Jesus redefined everything for Paul, joy and peace and hope and love and strength and power and unity. It all now revolved around this one crucified and risen man, Jesus of Nazareth. Nothing was the same for Paul. Even his sufferings were now seen in light of the newness brought about by Jesus and the Spirit. For Paul, for Paul, this is a new world. Let me tell you why. It is a new world because the unthinkable has happened. It's not only possible, but expected. 
What is the unthinkable? Well, Jews and Gentiles don't have to be at war anymore. They're not enemies. In fact, through faith in Jesus, the Messiah, they can now be brothers under the fatherhood of one God, servants under the headship of one Lord, enjoying the indwelling of one spirit. Jesus has brought something new. A barbarian, a barbarian and a sophisticated Greek-speaking Jewish scholar like Paul himself can now join hands and love each other in Christ. That's a new world. Paul strove with all his energy through trials, imprisonments, plots against his life, stonings, storms, shipwrecks, and even a snake bite to announce this one thing. God is in the process of uniting all things under the headship of his son, Jesus Christ. For Jesus is none other than God and man united perfectly and eternally in one person. The curse of sin has been removed because of his death. And the fear of death has been removed because of his resurrection. This is a new world. Therefore, Paul For Paul, the bond between a husband and a wife, the obedience of children to their parents, and the unity between brothers in the church are all manifestations of this one fact that in Jesus all things are being united, all things are being reconciled. Husbands ought to love their wives, and wives ought to submit to their husbands, not just because but because their mutual love is a living picture of the unifying work of God in Christ Jesus and by the Spirit. Paul heard that message, he listened to that message, and he gave his entire life for that one message. And upon the shoulders of Paul's willingness to suffer, the gospel reached Gentile ears, and they listened too. It began with an Ethiopian eunuch. God called him. What did he do? He listened. Many, many more came after him. They listened to the voice of the Lord after him, and they came. By the time Paul made it to Rome, the Gentile Christian community had grown significantly, not only in Italy, but all throughout the world, including Asia. Asia, where Christians had been meeting in different towns to learn what it meant to be in Christ through faith. This included a small town called Colossae, which Paul had evangelized during one of his missionary journeys. The Gentiles in Colossae had already listened to the Lord, and they were thriving. They met in homes, like we do sometimes on Wednesday nights. One of those homes in which Christians met belonged to a man of financial means named Philemon, whom Paul knew very, very well. Paul, in fact, described Philemon as a man of love and faith. Love and faith. What a magnificent duo. But one day, Philemon faced a problem. Pretty serious problem. A problem that was quite unique to his own context. You see, Philemon was a slave owner. But that wasn't his problem. Philemon's problem was that one of his slaves, one named Onesimus, had managed to escape. And as Onesimus was running away from Philemon, 
he ran into Paul. Through that encounter, Onesimus became a Christian. So Paul was now faced with a very serious issue. What to do about a runaway slave who might be in serious danger and his master who is seeking to find him? You know what that, why that story matters? That story matters greatly because it comes with a major twist. It is a gospel twist. See, the gospel changes everything. It is no longer just a story about a slave owner and his slave. Rather, it is a story within a new and greater story. Both Philemon and Onesimus are now in Christ through faith. Therefore, if Philemon and Onesimus are both in Christ, what are they? They are new creations in Christ. The old had passed away for both Philemon and Onesimus. The new had come for both Philemon's Philemon and Onesimus. You see, when you take the words from 1 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. When you take those words and you think of them in the abstract, they sound beautiful, don't they? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Sounds beautiful. But what do those words mean for a slave owner dealing with? with a runaway slave. If these two men are now living within a new story, what difference does it make? Paul, having heard Onesimus' case, decided to take up his pen and write Philemon a very short letter. The contents of that letter will be the heart of our meditations beginning in two weeks. For now, just keep this in mind. Both Philemon and Onesimus were among the Gentiles who listened to Paul's gospel. This being the case, what Paul expected from both of them in dealing with this tense situation was something radically new. Radically new. For Paul, the advent of Christ shook everything to its very core. In Jesus, the new has come indeed. Central to this newness is the power of love. The power of love. And as we will learn, nothing has greater power to challenge and to defeat the flesh than love. Christ-centered, spirit-empowered love. So as we come together in two weeks to continue to put our flesh to death and to continue to learn what it means to walk by the Spirit, I pray that you will do so in the spirit of Paul's prophetic words, which he spoke to the Jews that day under house arrest, the Gentiles will listen. And so we have. But we must continue to listen to the Lord together, and I pray that you will. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the book of Acts. What a gift. Thank you for what we have learned from the early disciples. How they lived. How they worshipped. How they loved. And thank you for the example of Paul. May we take up his invitation to be imitators of him. As he himself was an imitator of Christ. And as we move on from Acts into other wonderful things in your word. May the message of Acts remain with us. Resurrection power has been unleashed 
in the Spirit. So help us now to live accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.